Hi everyone, you're listening to Bush Tech, an ag tech podcast that gets to the so what of ag tech. We'll bring you interesting things from interesting people, and I'm one of your co-hosts, Simon Matthewson. And I'm your other co-host, Sarah Nolette. On this podcast, we will bring in leading speakers in technology, entrepreneurship, investment, agriculture, science, and anything else you can think of and we can find in the world of ag tech. We'll look to demystify it so that we're getting to the so what. What does it really mean for farmers and for the broader agricultural industry? I'm farming and I grow it. I'm farming and I grow it. So, Brooke Sawyer, welcome to the Bush Tech Podcast. Thanks, Sarah. (laughs) Great to have you. Um, So I'd love to just start with a bit about your background, if you want to give us a small overview. Um, Yeah, my background is actually really quite different to this. I'm actually an agricultural geneticist and went to go into plant breeding and uh, then ended up moving into more extension type work and uh, did a lot with control traffic and um, no-till farming about 15 years ago. And then sort of by default ended up moving into precision agriculture where I started my PhD and um, and then, yeah, now we've sort of moved out of sort of private enterprise into the government and back out into private enterprise again now with McGregor Goulet. And what did you do your PhD on? Uh, I actually did my PhD on pretty much in precision agriculture, looking at the use of different tools and how they could be helpful on highly constrained subsoil subsoils in in northern New South Wales. So right, and would you say that the technologies or the space has changed significantly in that time period, or is it still like really relevant? Uh, the technology itself probably hasn't changed. Like the te- the technology that I was looking at, we were very simple things like EM and remote sensing um, and yield data, and they're probably still three main layers that I use today in my work. So uh, the relevance of my PhD work is still very much um, alive and being used as it is right now. So That's awesome. Exciting. Um, so ha- tell us a bit about McGregor Goulet, and is are, you guys aren't a precision ag company you're part of precision ag you've started the precision ag division there for them um so yeah tell us a bit about them and then what you do for them yeah i guess mcgregor gula is just a regular sort of normal agribusiness we sell inputs uh, to farmers basically and we provide an agronomy service as part of that and I guess McGregor Goulet really just sort of looked outside the square and, and, and saw people starting to look for information in this digital space. And rather than wanting to find that digital information outside of their business, they decided they thought it was probably best to try and, um, I, I guess, create a service in this space, not really understanding what that would involve or what it would look like or or how it would happen. And, um, and so at the time I was working for the government and they come and asked me and said, can you talk to us about this? you know, what should we be doing? Should we be buying equipment? Should we be buying a drone or what have you? And I said, no, I think the greatest hurdle in the whole precision ag space is more about um, the support required to move forward and to adopt and and take on technology because it's not necessarily a whole new farming system. It's just using tools in a different way and developing or finding information from different sources. So at the end of that conversation, they sort of was like, okay, I think you need to come and work for us. So that's really how it all kind of started. And three years ago when I started to now, um, they were very sensible by not ever really giving me a job description, which I think at the time was more because they didn't really understand what I did or how it would work. But um, I guess the things that make up my day and the core part of my work has evolved so much. The core, the ethos of this role hasn't changed, which has always been about trying to help our customers to 
understand the value proposition of using digital technology and, and information derived from remote sensing tools and, and working out that opportunity to improve their own productivity. So that business ethos has never changed, but I guess um, the other things that we do to complement that has evolved greatly. Yeah, so maybe talk a little bit about that. What would you say has evolved around it? Is it is it more like different kinds of services? Is it that the technologies evolved so there's more range of tools that you're using or what, what's really there's, changing? There's probably a couple of ways that it's really evolved. Three years ago, if you'd asked me if we would be working side by side with startup companies, I probably would have said no. And two, if you'd asked me if I was ever going to buy a drone, it would be no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and But probably more, the thing that probably hasn't changed is the way in which we try and engage our customers or the, the things that we try and achieve for our customers, but maybe the way we engage them has evolved quite a lot. So we've gone away from probably sort of these traditional extension models of trying to engage, engage, engage with people and, and gone more towards um, an individualistic and almost a tailored approach that we literally go in, sit down and say, okay, what are the issues? And then we utilise the technology to say, okay, we need to generate more information about this because we need to know how much this issue is costing you and therefore what is the potential for you to make more money in this situation. So, you know, we don't tend to probably look at, you know, throwing out packages to people saying, okay, you give me $5.00 you know, a hectare every year and, and you'll get, you know, 15 satellite images and all of your data processed and, and maybe an EM38, you know, survey thrown into for that. It's it's less about this whole pushing of package and more about probably starting at the ground up. Right. Um, so a bit more of like a consultation model, like you're almost like yeah. consultants to them saying like, you know, here's how we think the business can improve or here's the different tools you would need. So is that a quite like it's a different skill set almost that you would then need to do the kind of understanding of their business and their needs and then also matching it to the technology and then do you guys implement the service for them as well if if that's the case? Yeah, to a certain degree we do. Um, Most of the time I guess the implementation of something moving forward to make more money is generally utilising technology that they already have in their Mm -hmm. tractor anyway. So, you know, the solution always encompasses where they're at with technology in terms of ownership of hardware, but also where their mindset is at as well, what they feel comfortable with, what they don't feel comfortable with. Because at the end of the day, in order to um, improve productivity, it all comes down to confidence level. And each grower has to have be confident in what I'm presenting to them in terms of digital data because they're not used to seeing things that way. So they need to trust the data in itself. They need to have a level of trust in me that I'm presenting data to them because we all know that data can be skewed whichever way you want to tell the story but and then they need to have confidence in themselves that they can do just that and that it is going to make them more money or it is going to save on inputs and or they're going to make more and things like that so I mean it doesn't always just come down to profitability I mean there's a certain amount of environmental drive and provenance that surrounds a lot of this side of things as well so I mean Firstly and foremost, I, I don't think you'll find very many farmers out there that are not first priority isn't to make more money, but they're also very much concerned about creating products that are safe and clean and green and utilizing the technology to be able to do, to be able to prove that, to be able to make a case into the future where everybody's so much more concerned about where their food comes from, being able to say, okay, well, that's, that's great that you want to know where it's come from and, and I can tell you everything that's happened in this place. And that's a slow moving, Thing. It's not something that's at great pace at the moment, but it is something that growers are starting to become more and more aware of. And um, and I think definitely in that thought process, 
of going, okay, well, you know, it is something that I need to consider because I, I don't want to be left with, you know, 200 tonne a week that I can't sell or, you yeah, know, 30 sure. bales of cotton that nobody wants to buy. I think that confidence point is really interesting. I'm curious how that plays out. Like, do you, can you just tell right away when someone's like, oh, like, you know, I, I thought I had to hear this presentation, but I'm really not confident in using this. Or like, can you kind of tell right away how keen they're going to be? Or is it much more subtle in terms of like taking them through a training or like just kind of how does that play out in, in practice? Oh, every situation's different, sure. to be honest with you. I, um, in some, you know, very quickly, I mean, we don't try to tend to push things. We don't actively sell or anything. Um, and 95% of my business comes from people contacting me generally. Um, so it's a slightly, I guess it's quite a different model to straight up. And, and when people tend to contact me, sometimes it's out of desperation. Um, you know, it's because it's incredibly dry and the, to be respectful, somewhat misguided thinking that if I kind of move into precision ag, then I'm automatically going to save on my input bill. You know, I'm going to put less fertilizer out and I'm going to make more money. That's just a common misconception that's out there. Might, might not always be so blatant, but it's a common misconception. Um, and so dry weather and dry times when it hasn't rained and this, you know, this need to put a crop in the ground. Um, but wanting to have the least amount of risk up front is generally sometimes the, the, the driver that comes forward. And then it kind of rains and people kind of blend back into the background and sort of go, well, you know, look, I'm making money as it is. There's no real need for me to change. Um, but, the, you know, the confidence, I guess, getting back to the question that you asked me, being able to determine that confidence level. Look, some people will come and as soon as I sort of explain to them it's not quite – about saving money on fertilizer, it's about robbing Peter to pay Paul and putting it, you know, where that fertilizer where you can get the greatest bang for buck with it. You'll often see people sort of tend to draw back a little bit because all of a sudden it's sort of like, well, what about that one in five year when I have all of that fertilizer left over that's just kind of sitting there and it becomes abundant? And it and it's about convincing people to think outside the square, and that it, it's not that what they've done for the last forty years is wrong because nothing is ever wrong. It's about sort of recognising that um, it might not necessarily be a limitation, but there's an opportunity there. And that takes a long time. And to be honest with you, that's very much a people skill building process. It's about having that relationship with people. It's about going to the local footy field and being there, being at the Christmas parties, being and so my life is filled with social events as much as it is with with actually talking to growers you know on a, on a business level because you know and I need to get to know their wife because she is the driver of the business in the background and and you know knowing their, their children and things like that so it's very much about becoming an integrated part of the community as much as it is about being a successful consultant and and being able to walk the walk and talk the talk it's about having the people skills too negotiate so the way in which people respond to me is different you know every person um requires i guess a, a, a different way of engaging in them and and over time especially having that background working in extension in no-till and control traffic as well has sort of taught me a lot of really valuable skin skills on being able to recognize when somebody's kind of flitting away from the conversation and and taking a different tact and 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 organizing my thoughts in a completely different way and it's not necessarily about this hard sell of you know, um, getting everybody doing the same thing. It's more about um, generally they've always come to me. So it's about me, uh, you know, I see it as a success when I've helped them to understand 
um, what's going on in their farm, what um, their current limitations are and what they cost, what they're costing the business and where the opportunities might exist. That's sort of where the success story ends really. Whether or not they, they kind of do anything with that is not so much about me, it's about them. They have to be the one that chooses to go forward. And and I don't necessarily look at it as a failure if they don't move forward because there's a lot of other things are at play aside from this just moving forward with technology. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting job. Like everybody's different, every day is different. Um, it, it sounds like it. one thing that I think is really interesting is the um, you said like working with startups, and one thing that gets talked about in the startup community is how relationship based agriculture is. Like exactly like mm. you just said, and so for a startup that maybe doesn't have the community or expertise or like boots on the ground where you are, or um, is looking to maybe even disrupt that and have things be more digitally based or sign up for something online via an app. Like, I don't know, what's your experience been working with the startup community and do you see things moving more towards a digital space where you are still based on relationships and community, but everything's not done via like a face-to-face sale? For example, you might be buying things online or, or downloading an app to, to use a product. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question, not one that I probably am super confident in answering really well. Um, I guess it is really hard, you know, having worked with startups and, and, and creating sort of these digital technologies that are, you know, about connect, connecting information and bringing information together and, and ultimately achieving some sort of a decision support tool that ultimately will disrupt positions like mine, I guess, um, and, and, and my work colleagues like agronomists and things like that. There's, you know, there's lots of questions about whether or not we will even have jobs in the future. So, I mean, I think that, there will always be an impetus for growers to still want to have relationships with people. Being a farmer is quite an isolating thing. And, you know, I, I guess over, say, take Moray, for example. You know, when I first moved there, we had 15,000 people living in Moray. I think at the moment we're a bit under 7,000. And and the impact that that's had on the community has been unimaginable. There are so many businesses that are closing down and there's so many businesses that are on the brink of when we have water and there's plenty of cotton in the ground, they do well, but they're not big enough businesses that when we have a little bit of drought or we don't have a lot of water and the confidence level or the outlook for the following season isn't fantastic, they're the businesses that tend to struggle and, and pack up and leave. And and then that affects the amount of kids in schools and things like that. So every farmer, I think, is always very conscious about how technology is going to impact. And I don't think anybody knows the real answer but how it will potentially impact not just the way that they do business but the community and the place that their children go to school and where they buy their local chemical from and their and their fertilizer from and you know by you know creating more and more jobs so i don't to be a, to, it's a really difficult question to answer i don't doubt for a minute that um, you know, online shopping, which plenty of people do in the bush. We're not adverse to buying things online. I do, we do it plenty of times. Um, and, and utilizing apps and technology to create more efficiencies within the business. Absolutely no doubt that people are not going to do that. Um, more and more farmers, I guess, are utilizing, you know, seeking information from alternate sources. It's not about picking up the land or the rural newspaper anymore. It's about, being on Twitter and, and being part of things like, you know, OzChat and, and, and things like that to 
be sourcing information from, you know, Twitter is a huge source of information for people. And I think the more that people feel comfortable getting information from digital sides of things will transcend into more confidence in being able to trust remotely collected data or remote sensing information. And I think that the time is coming now that people are feeling more confident with it. But I think there's still a little way to go before they completely rely on a a whole um, completely analysed digital, you know, support, decision support tool that ultimately says, okay, grow this crop here now. Yeah. Not tomorrow, now. Right. And put this much here and and that. And I think that, um, you know, people like myself and agronomists and stuff like that, none of, very few people are probably utilising the technology themselves that can make how they do their job better to be honest with you. And um, we had a really classic example at work a few months ago where um, we had a young agronomist who not long been in the business but really keen user of technology, um, comes straight out of uni, really being able to utilise all of these digital ag tools incredibly well and, you know, uses SATAMAP on a regular basis, jumps on, had a look and uh, for a cotton field that he wasn't actually providing the agronomy service for but um, was being paid a private agronomist was being paid an incredible amount of money to look after that cotton field. But he just happened to notice that the inside wasn't doing as well as it probably should be of a pivot. And uh, and so he, he jumped the fence and, and it's not as though he wasn't allowed to be on this property, but he wasn't being paid to look after this cotton crop. Jumped the fence, walked all the way into the centre of the pivot and went, oh, the sprinklers aren't turned on. Whoops. And they've been like that for quite a few weeks. But, you know, the, the very highly paid agronomist who has 25 years of experience looking after cotton because he wasn't utilising tools like this and, and no one expe- no one farmer expects an agronomist to walk every hectare of every field. Um, but it's having that digital technology, which is freely available to everybody, to just sort of go, okay, there's something going on in that, you know, in that just pure reflectance map. It's not going to tell me anything specific. It's not going to say it's disease, but there's something going on there that requires a few, you know, a set of boots in the field to really kind of translate what's right. going on. But it didn't happen by this, you know, well-experienced guy. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that um, there's so much technology available to all of our agronomists right now, but so few of them are utilising them to help them do their job better. Why do you think that is? Oh, I think there's a couple of reasons, a little bit of ignorance. I won't deny that. There's a bit of ignorance there and there's a little bit of... Um, uh, a little bit of apprehension about how these tools are going to potentially replace them, I think. You know, it's sort of like if I don't take any notice of them, then they don't really exist and I don't need to face them. But I think there's also, um, to be fair to agronomists, we're not all ignorant <laughs> completely, but to be fair, I think one of the, the greatest challenges um, for us is that most agronomists are already so busy and they're looking after so many people and as you know farming is highly dynamic so nothing is ever the same in each and every week so they've got to be on their toes all the time thinking about different things thinking about what it could be or what they should be doing or what's the next crop and what does if I make this decision now how is it going to impact the farmer's choices for next year just say chickpea prices go you know rock bottom and he changes that to wheat what's this decision going to do to, to the, uh, impact that decision next year. So there's always a lot going on, I think, and they're always really busy thinking about things. And to have to think about something different in a different way is sometimes just a bit of a, oh, 
I will. I'll do that, but I'll just do it next week, you know, because I'm a little bit busy right now. And then also, to be fair as well, I mean, things like um, Saturn Map as a tool, which is just Sentinel data pulled into a really nice, easy-to-use platform, but it requires another login. Um, and, and we've been working with um, uh, the providers with software that we use, which is AgWorld, to integrate this information in there. And so um, it doesn't need to be a be-all and end-all, wholly successful, you know, providing a, a, a monumental amount of analytics, but it just needs to be in the same place that they do their recommendations because if they don't need to log out and log into something else that requires internet connection where they don't have any, um, then they're much more likely to be able to use it. So just I think just sometimes it's the simple things that can make such a big difference to an agronomist utilising that information and then he's showing his customer or his grower and saying, hey, I checked this out. Isn't this funky? You know, when you, you were planting the other day, you said you had problems with the cedar. Well, this is what the impact is. Right. You know, um, having all of those levels of information at somebody's fingertips without the reliance on an internet connection. It's funny people say that that's like a, like that challenge gets brought up a lot and it's not an ag one. Like this weekend I was working and I realized my Google Drive wasn't synced up with my online Google Drive and so my files weren't syncing and I went to sign in and then it needed a login and I didn't have it and then um, like it was just too many steps and so I finally was like whatever I just won't sync it right and it's like that's not the right answer the right answer is just like do the thing that will take 30 seconds to get your files to sync but instead I was like ah oh, it's too hard I can't be bothered yeah and then we sort of expect that other people are gonna do this extra work when like I'm pretty tech savvy and I just I couldn't be bothered like I just wouldn't do it so yeah. I think it's kind of funny that we sometimes we hold different groups to different standards um but yeah, that's where the usability needs to come in, like having, you know, the password manager hook up to this and that and just kind of integrate all of the systems um, will help a lot, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of the, the programs, a lot of the platforms that are being used, like there's probably three main ones here in Australia and we use AgWorld and I'm not advocating it. It's just the, the road that we went down. And um but, you know, they're making some really big inroad steps to be, to have all of our soil tests coming into one place and, and having our yield data integrated into that. Obviously pre-processed so it's nice and clean and, and usable. Um, but also having our, you know, satellite imagery. Not that we place a huge amount of emphasis on satellite imagery, but it's a really handy layer to have. So having all of these really useful information means that when a grower steps out in the, or when, when a grower steps out in the field, be it with or without his grower or, or a grower is looking at the same data, when they go out into the field, they have every bit of information that's there. And when they're making a decision, okay, well, should I be putting fertilizer on now or not? You know, he's got some long range forecasts about what's going to happen. You know, he's got some historical data around that field because he's got a weather station in there. And, you know, he's got all the information about previous soil tests and, and, and with locations against them, which is, you know, seems like an insight. A very simple thing, but the amount of soil tests that are around with are within our business that do not have a geotag with them is unbelievable. But again, it's one of those simple processes of okay, I need a program that allows me to pinpoint something that's going to fix that to my recommendation, you know, based tool. So, you know, I think the technology that we have around us is amazing, but there's this real disconnect on bringing it all together so that we can use it in a really sensible way. Yeah. So. I wanted to ask you, so I know one of the startups you're working with is Florisat and they use drones or you help them to collect a bit of drone data. And you mentioned drones before as something that you didn't think you'd be using, <laughs> but now are. So yeah, maybe tell me a little bit about your journey with drones in particular and their technology that's had lots of hype around it and um, now lots of reactions 
reality around it that mm. you're seeing as well. So what's that been like? Okay, so I've, I guess uh, I was always a little skeptical of drones, and and I'm to be realistic, I probably look at myself as a little bit of a glass half full kind of girl. Um, I tend to look at things with a lot of skepticism, and then it needs to kind of prove to me, or I need to look at it anal- anal- um, analytically, I guess, to be able to then say, okay, you know what, I think this is a worthwhile, and I see a plausible way how this could provide great information, or it could provide a great solution. And I was always a little skeptical of drones, but my my general manager is a really avid pilot, and was so keen. He's just like Brooke find me a way that we can justify buying a drone. And I was like, oh, really? Okay, are we going down this road? Um, so that's, you know, we, we went to a couple of workshops and uh, we listened to, you know, things about drones. And I was still a little sceptical, but Josh was like, right, we're getting into this drone thing. So we really just sort of started selling drones. And it was quite by accident. We decided to get a few for our agros, use them out in the field, see how practical they really were. Um, see how useful they were in terms of can we see more things at a greater height um, and, and I guess more than anything how practical they really were. Um, and then a couple of our customers said, oh, can you buy one for us or can you buy one for us? And nearly three years down the track, we have sold over 600 drones, which is just I'm sure there's not even that many farmers in the northern New South Wales, but we have drones all over Australia now and it's crazy. So we've learnt a lot about just simple, you know, things like a Phantom, just a a really simple little multi-rotor. People using them in very different ways. No one's trying to save the planet with them, but using them just as a a value-adding tool that or an extra set of eyes in the sky. And then uh, obviously we were working with Fluorosat and, and we purchased the, the big drone that we call Lizzie, which is just a matrice. And um, we purchased that to run a whole heap of sensors to help them with their development work. And having come out the back end of that, we've now put Lizzie in the cupboard. So Lizzie's been banished back to the big cupboard now. <laughs> and um, I guess really we had a lot of issues and it, that put me off a lot. I mean, just simple things. Ad- admittedly, there was nobody else in Australia at the time that was trying to run three different sensors on a multi-rotor platform and trying to power everything at once. So electronically we had a lot of serious issues going on um, and not a lot of people around to help us go, if you plug this in here and you plug this in here, you're going to get abracadabra, everything's going to work because it was never quite that simple. So, I mean, aside from that, and that's just an individual situation, but one of the greatest issues that we found with the drone was, especially in a really large broad acre sense, was the great, it was incredibly inefficient. So, and then all of the work that we did with, you know, with, with Fluorosat required flying um, under very specific circumstances, which um, whenever you're collecting remotely sensed information, um, especially with an, a passive sensor that we were using, required really nice, good sunshine or complete cloud. And we had 11 fields that we were flying for Fluorosat and uh, roughly worked out to be about once every four weeks we were supposed to fly. Well, by the time we got through the first one, we were about about three months behind schedule because it was either too windy or it was too cloudy or we just didn't have enough hours in the day to get there and back again. And and not only that, but at best we were getting around 40 hectares, which sounds like a reasonable amount, but even these irrigation fields, the smallest field that we had was 120 hectares. We are only collecting a third of the data. So by the time we would have collected all of that data, it would have been probably taken three days to do it all. And that was mul- multiple sets of batteries with, with charging hubs and generators and 
everything that we could think of that would make our process easier, we used. But unfortunately, it was just the nature of the beast. And uh, and then obviously putting it on a different sort of drone wasn't an option. We needed a fair bit of lift power, so fixed wing was out of the equation. And to cut a long story short, like I said, Lizzie's in the she's in the shed, and we've gone to a big a manned plane instead. Right, so, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And um, do you has that changed your view on drones? Like, do you still think drones are useful, but just that some of the technology has to develop to enable some of these sensors, or is it like what's your kind of view on having actually worked quite closely with these well, technologies now? To be honest with you, kind of going down the drone road and coming out the other end and kind of moving away from drones has made me realise one thing, uh, and that a lot of people are very, very obsessed and, and really, um, not obsessed, but really excited by the drone itself. And, you know, that's the big kid in all of us, you know. I don't know any people that don't ever remember flying remote-controlled helicopters and absolutely loving because there's this sense of being able to control something else. But um, to be honest with you, I, I guess that... The technology will evolve. It will continue to evolve. There will be drones that will be able to do things that we can't do now and or that are, they're unable to do right now or they're inefficient at completing right now. But to be honest with you, I'm probably less excited about the actual drone and more excited about what the the way in which people are thinking drones can deliver something. So I gave a talk recently to a bunch of farmers who'd asked me to come and talk about drones, thinking I'd go there and go, oh, blah, blah, and, and let's, be, drones, let's be super excited <laughs> about drones. And I just kind of walked in and said, look, I'm going to burst your bubble right away. And, you know, I'm not the biggest advocate of drones. And this is why. And this was my experience. And, and the biggest take-home message that I said to these guys was be more excited about the data itself because lots of them were kind of like can we could do you think there's potential to be able to measure ph from the sky using a drone is there ability to venture measure different changes in soil type and what that could potentially mean and i'm like you can do all of that now you don't need a drone to do that like and it's so much more efficient to do it without a drone so you know people are excited about all the things that they think drones can deliver, but they need to forget about the drone and be more excited about what it is that they think that is going to they're going to get from it. That information, um, because that's the serious game changer. The drone's just like a tractor. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, it's interesting. I found the same thing that when you that some of these technologies can either be exciting just because they're exciting technologies, or can be sort of scary because they seem far away or seem mm. like useless and futuristic. But once you get into the use case, like once you're actually talking about, oh, it could measure this, or it could do that, or we could hook this up to that, then the conversation really flips. And mm. you start to get into like a brainstorming solution excitement mode around, oh, well, then could we hook up to that? And it's not to say that there aren't huge challenges, but that you can kind of change from um, just exciting in a toy kind of playing way or super skeptical and into like, oh, this could be really valuable. How do we think about solving problems? Yeah. And I think that's where I'm seeing a lot more of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really exciting for the kind of future of precision ag and ag tech more broadly. Um, so I think that's really, it's good to hear that, that you've experienced that as well. <laughs> um, in terms of startups, are you, like, what was it like to work with a startup? Because they're different in terms of, you know, faster, but also, you know, not fully established companies with products that already, you know, necessarily work all the time or exist. You're obviously doing a lot of testing and helping with development is like, what's it been like for a company like yours and, and for you to work with startups that really aren't, you know, like um, probably other businesses that you've maybe mm. experienced in terms of yeah how big they are, how fast they are. What mm. has that been like? 
Um, to be honest with you, at the end of this cotton season, um, you know, very privately people would sort of say, oh, you know, how's it been working with startups? And I'd say it nearly killed me. <laughs> it really did nearly kill me. And not so much because of the actual working with startups. I think it was probably more the commercial development and, and trying to fast track something um, in the field on behalf of a company that you have no financial stake in. Um, you know, trying to fast track R and D essentially in a in a non fast trackable way was was really stressful, and and being at the mercy of all the things that every farmer is at the mercy of environmental conditions, weather, and all of those things just never quite playing the way we wanted to. So that was a it was a really kind of stressful situation. I won't deny that. But in terms of actually probably working with a startup, you know, there was there was plenty of times where. Um, you know, I they would ask my opinion of something, and I didn't always agree with, with with their opinion, and I didn't always give them the answer that they wanted to hear. And but that I think that's been a really valuable exercise for everybody involved because I've sort of brought something completely different to their business that they wouldn't have thought of, which was um, the practicality of doing things actually in the field, um, and the practicality of how useful the information that they're trying to develop could be, but it needs to be considered around X, Y, and Z. So I think, you know, I, I was able to bring them, um, ground them a little bit and bring them back to earth, but then it sort of taught me a lot of other things as well. It taught me to probably appreciate a lot more how much effort goes into R&D and developing things for the future. And and irrespective of whatever comes of Fluorosat, you know, I've, I've learned a lot and can take a lot back to the customer, even if it isn't a finished product. It's, it's about sort of thinking about things in a completely different way and it's about thinking outside the square for a solution to every problem. Um, and that's something that I've gotten a lot from working with with a startup, so much so that even though I, you know, two minutes ago I said to you that it nearly <laughs> killed me, but, you know, we're sort of on this journey now of, um, okay, I would like to do more of that. You know, I really, I'm really enjoying being able to be at that, at the core and the epicentre of things that are new and exciting and, and we really love that and, and our customers love that we are part of something that is new. Whether or not it eventuates into anything is almost irrelevant, but being able to sort of offer um, that connect between the farmer and the startup and being able to bring some perspective to them and say, actually, that issue isn't so important to us, but this is. And, and at those very early stages of the startup and being able to sort of help guide them and their, you know, their enterprise to being something that's really tangible and really useful on the ground is kind of special. Yeah, so. totally. And I think ag, 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 ag tech uh, need more people like that, like need more mm. translation functions between the real requirements and the technologies and the mm. te- technologies and the requirements um, and get that boots on the ground practical perspective. And to your point before, to get that kind of person embedded in the community that can help to tell the story of where this is going and have that conversation over a longer period of time instead of, uh, you know, coming and presenting at a conference and then leaving and hoping they, you know, something happens. It's just going to go a bit slower than that. You have to build up that trust and understand. So I think that's a huge um, reason why it's so exciting that you're, you're doing what you're doing. I think it's, it's so important. So um, if you're looking for other startups, what kinds of startups would you be looking for? Like what's an area that's exciting? Uh, 
It's a really good question. The, probably the thing that probably excites me the most in the ag tech space really is probably a little bit more in that midstream. It's about sort of connecting all this information together and, and creating, helping growers to be able to create that provenance. So, you know, um, I'm, that's where I'm probably most excited at the moment. Having said that, um, you know, I'm, I'm working with other startups that are very specific and, and a very specific product in, you know, in pastures, for example, and it's not something that I know a lot about, but I'm still, you know, I still think that I can bring maybe not the agronomic knowledge, but something else valuable to their business. And, you know, McGregor Goulet, where, you know, we only have 13 branches, which is probably fairly large for an agribusiness standard, but in terms of trying to connect with all of Australian farmers is, you know, we're very small fish in the sea, but, you know, we're part of a bigger, a bigger group, which is national. And, and that's what we're trying to develop now is we're trying to sort of get more and more people involved in, in businesses that are, that are like ours, that, that can offer a completely different perspective. You know, the Plains, Liverpool Plains is completely different to Northern New South Wales and, um, and we're only 300 kilometres apart. And so, you know, if we can create more and more connect between businesses throughout Australia and, and that ag tech space, I think it could be really positive for everybody. And of course, you know, there's going to be more and more people that are more interested in one particular ag tech space than another. But, um, I guess, you know, getting back to your question, something that really ties everything together, I'm probably less interested in the big individual piece of information that, you know, will revolutionize everything. And it's not that, you know, fluorosat's a great example. That is a very specific product looking at, you know, a nitrogen or a nutritional status of the plant at any given point in time. But, you know, that information by itself is not so exciting to me, but that information as part of a much bigger set of data it can be really, really, you know, really influential, really valuable for a grower, particularly in a system where you have all of that data in a platform or together where you can go in and sort of say, okay, well, this is what my nitrogen status is right now at this given point in time on this field, but I also know this part of the field doesn't perform. So I'm making a much more informed decision about what to do with that. And, and less about going, you know, okay, my nitrogen is variable and spinning out a variable rate map from that it's probably about um you know putting that into context of how do i then turn that into something to make the best decision possible so yeah i think that is where many at least of the startups i talked to really want to get to and there's it's been good to see an increased focus in the tech community on decision making and decision yeah. support and connecting it to roi and what's the so what here not just maps or data for data's sake uh, i think the reality of how we actually do that and how these systems talk to each other and what the user experience is that's the part to still be sorted out but it's good okay. to see People everyone like thinking yeah that we'll speak yeah. in the same language um so, and, and that kind of comes back to what you actually say on your LinkedIn profile, which I love, which is around sort of demystifying precision ag. And, and this, it's not just with farmers and talking about the new tools and that precision ag isn't new. It's just a new set of tools or a continually evolving set of tools, but that it's also with the rest of the agribusiness community too, about how do we look at new tools and how do we work with new players like startups or research organizations. So um, I think that is super fantastic. Um, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people find more about you or about what you guys do or how can they find you or get in touch? Um, yeah, look, I guess I'm on a few different social media channels. I am on LinkedIn and my Twitter is Brooke MGAS. Um, you can either connect through social media or our website's probably the best best one to which is just mcgregorgoulet.com.au. 
um, yeah, the, I think all my contact details are on there as well. So Perfect. I will put that in the show notes as well. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you for listening to the Bush Tech Podcast. We'd love to hear what you think. If you have feedback, suggestions for future guests or technologies or topics you want us to cover, you can find us at bushtechpodcast.com.au. I hope you found it enjoyable. Until next time. See ya. See ya.